feel like you're down today. You just don't have your normal uh, energy and pop. Something going on? Bouncing my step. Do you want to talk about anything? No, I'm good. I'm good. You don't I'm want to talk about anything? Well, I, um, I want oh, to... Oh, topic-wise? Topic uh, no, I think, um, you know, the women's wrap-up and then, um, you know, certainly all eyes are in Derby. I don't so. care about pool. I want, I want to talk about your feelings, Mike. <laughs> I want to know what's happening with you in your life. You just sound sad. I'm never sad. You just you just don't have your pop today. I just I want to know that you're okay. I want to know if your feelings are all right. <laughs> I am good in the hood. All good in the perfect. Chris, two weeks in a row. Are you feeling all right? Yeah. Do you need to talk about your feelings? No, I'm definitely all good. Definitely all good. <laughs> yeah, you got yourself a nice little pint in front of you. You got to be uh, nice and happy. We've that's not a pint. That's this thing called Iron Brew. Do you have it in America? Iron Brew. No. It's a soft drink. It's a Scottish soft drink, but it's like oh, uh, so bad for you. It's unbelievable. So I, <laughs> it's like a it's like a sixteen ounce Red Bull. Yeah, they're, they're just crazy. It's not caffeine. It's just like stacked with sugar, uh, and it's got like a if you neck a cold one, it's got a severe bite. Like it'll make your eyes water and stuff. It's got a severe bite wow. to it. So, and you're drinking this why? It was sitting in the fridge, and I couldn't get <laughs> a coffee. That was, your, that was your first mistake. <laughs> well, what is it? It's, it's uh, 6 o'clock there, 6 p.m.? 6 p.m., mate, yeah. So, yeah. why? I mean, if, if you have the option between a beer and that, you're choosing that? Uh, I'll go and get a beer as soon as I've drank my own brew then. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were going to hear a dry January comment coming from him, so. No, no. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I didn't lie to myself like that. Yeah, we, we're not very professional here. I mean, Jim Jim literally doesn't even do a podcast unless he's like two bottles of red in. Right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, that looks like coffee that Mike's drinking there, but that's not. That's just scotch. He just drinks it out no. of a coffee mug. It's clear. It's gin. Oh, it's gin. Uh, sure, sure, gin. Yeah, of course. My gin buddy. That's why we get along, Mike. We're, we're that's just right. gin buddies for life, you know? Speaking of which, uh, Mike, what are you doing in uh, about about a week and a half, two weeks? You want to come what help me? Doing move? a week and a half for two weeks. Yeah, you ready um, to come help me move? Oh, that's not going to happen. Oh. <laughs> I'm way too old to get paid off in beer and pizza for helping someone move. <laughs> well, what about gin and pizza? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I moving. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm done. I'm done moving. I mean, I wouldn't won't even move myself. It's time, you wow. know, just point is, it's pay the man. <laughs> well, the, uh, I got, uh, I got the hookup. I got, uh, I got a nine foot predator coming and I got a, uh, I, I own a seven foot, uh, Valley pool table. So that's what I Very got nice. going for the room. Very nice. And where are these going? What part of the house? The living room. Naturally. The living room. <laughs> Both naturally. tables? Both tables. Yeah. Wow. We could get, we could get we could probably get the the valley into the basement, but uh, it'd be a pretty tight turn at the bottom of the stairs, and it's just probably not going to be easy enough to want to yeah. even attempt it. So, yeah. going right in the living room. All right. Good what, for me. Seriously? All right. You're seriously keeping both tables. Yeah. What are you keeping a seven foot for if you're getting a nine footer? Because all you play all Wisconsin plays on is valley or uh, is seven foot tables. Oh really? Yeah, that's all. Like that's basically all our tournaments are. Is, uh, yeah, it's the official table of Wisconsin. A seven it, it literally it is. Yeah, I mean, there's probably, oh, uh, in my town, there's a, there's a pool room of eight diamond uh, nine foot tables, but it's like a college bar. So 
the tables actually play pretty good, but um, it's like a college bar, literally. So, like, they don't even want pool players in there. Pool players are like you and Darren Appleton were, were in there, right? It, I see no. the is that the same one. No, that was uh, that was a pitcher's pub. So they have one nine foot table, and if you if you remove the the eight diamonds at uh, the brass ring, which is like a college bar, they really don't even want pool players in there because um, we don't spend as much money as a college kid. So they literally do not even want us in there, especially past the hours of like seven p.m. Um, we have one nine foot table in our entire city. Where? So uh, to to get uh, within a, let's say a forty five minute drive of me. There are, I think, like a total of like eight, eight, nine foot tables. Jesus. So, yeah. Uh, the pool room that I frequent is the Rock, which is what little Chris is talking about there. Uh, the Rock Sports Bar and Grill, and that has eight diamond seven foots. But no, no big tables. I think I have a nine foot table within like 500 miles, probably. Yeah. <laughs> 500 miles in like a paddle boat. <laughs> miles in a boat, yeah, definitely, or a plane. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we jump in? We have uh, uh, we have uh, a new female world champion, Rita Chow. And how cool, I mean, obviously, I don't want to, I don't want to take it. Same world champion, it's just a different game. Sure, yeah, same. But uh, I don't want to take the, the spotlight away from her, but how cool is it to see Allison Fisher back in the in the finals of a world championship? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, she That's, made a nice run. Um, she, you know, you can tell she was playing with purpose. Uh, she was really dialed in. So it's great to see. Um, I know that she has said that she's going to put more emphasis on her game this year, um, you know, more serious effort. So I think uh, – I think last year maybe wet her whistle a little bit because she finished high in a lot of events. And uh, so she's she's going after again. Good for her because there's not a lot to prove. There's nothing to prove at this point in her career except to prove to herself. So um, that's always uh, it's always great to see. Well, maybe you know this trivia question. When was the first world – how old – or what year was the first year that she won a world championship in? She won I think she won in 06, 07, 08, or 07, 08, 09, something like that. Or maybe 96, 97, 98. Um, um, she won four times. She won three in a row. Uh, and that's so from the nine ball. That was, yeah, that was the nine ball, correct. So, Chris, when did she win her first snooker world title? I think she might have won a billiard one before that. Um, before her first world snooker one, she probably got like I don't know, like 10 or she might have like 15 or 16 world championships. I don't know. Uh, but 80s, definitely in the 80s. Maybe I was going to say 70s there. She's listening. She went very happy. No, no, no. She'll shoot you if you say 70s. It was probably late 80s, um, you know, because she came over here in the, uh, you know, mid 90s. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she won in 96, 97, and 98. And then in 2001. For, were her nine balls. And in snooker, I think she had seven singles world championships, a couple of doubles. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Seth White is our Seth White is our researcher, 1985. Against Stacy Hilliard. Wow. Yeah. So I mean that would be kind of a I mean that you you say you can't add anything to a resume. I'm pretty sure adding a, a another world title that would that would be pretty impressive. 40 years Nearly 40 years from her first one is... Here's a good trivia question. The first professional nine-ball tournament Allison played in was in Munich at the Munich Masters. 
um, I believe it was 92. It was a couple years before she came to the States. She finished tied for third. You know who won that tournament? <clears throat> Stacy Hilliard. Ah. She and Stacy went to Munich to play to try their hand at it. And uh, Stacy won the tournament. Allison finished tied for third. Seems like something you could try out if you uh, if you go there and you got two of the three medals. Yeah, no, that was it was a it was a, an eye opener for a lot of players there. Yeah, you're talking, but uh, if she could have completed that win, that would have been 38 years apart. Her first and at that time last world title, that would be pretty impressive. That that's something to add to your resume. How many sports can you do that in? Yeah, yeah, it's like some. Guy. It's like some Tom yeah. Brady stuff right there. <laughs> it is just even reaching the world final is because that was a uh, that was a stout field. That was not oh, absolutely WPBA, you know, Minnesota Classic stuff. This was uh, the was, only thing you're missing at that point is the Chinese. Yeah, which that's three yeah. former world champions right there. But <laughs> so that's that's a lot missing from the field. But still, um, you know, you, you can only beat the people who are there. So um, sure. Yeah, she played great. And the the thing I was, I mean, the the most fun about that is like most of the matches that she played in were absolute grinders. Yeah, uh, she she I mean she worked hard for those wins. That's. Did she have three hill hills in a row? Did she have three? Uh, in a row? Well, she uh, well, she beat Christina to catch nine to five, which is an incredible right. an incredible win with how she's playing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then she won nine seven over nine, uh, seven in this uh, okay. yeah. Um And then she she did go hill hill with uh, Wang Ling, Wang Wan Lin. Uh, and then yeah. going back, I guess before there, we'd have to see where she was with the the winning qualifier. Yeah, I, I don't know where I got that from. I thought I'd read it somewhere or heard it. Uh, it. I mean, it's possible on the uh, going through the the beginning part of it. Yeah. Oh, and then she she beat uh, Alula Kabardaglu too. Okay. Alula is playing incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I wonder who beat her on the B side. Now that I'm looking at this. Oh, she got beat seven three to Margaret. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. Re really good field. So I guess. Uh. Yeah. But um, Chow, I mean, it, if you watch, did you watch the final? Yeah. She played a, a unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I mean she incredible. broke and ran, I don't know, four or five of the of the yeah. nine racks. Um, it's a whitewash, 9-0. Yeah. Uh, Allison really never had a chance. I think she had, you know, one or two turns at the table where she could have done something, but um, it was, there was not a lot there's not a lot to be had. <laughs> Chow played really good. <laughs> and the South Korean to... the South Korean women played the Korean women yeah, played absolutely. really well. Which surprised, you know, you don't see them up there in the in the international tournaments as much, uh, but the young girl who finished tied for third. She she had a great tournament. She had Chow on the ropes. She was up yes. five to two or six to two at one point and lost nine to seven. She um, beat Kelly Fisher on the hill. Well, Kelly Fisher beat Kelly wow. Fisher on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was one of the most. Really? painful nine balls i think i've ever seen hill hill but, yeah and she took the extension to take her time to look down at it and uh she said she couldn't decide between stun or draw and got caught in the middle and didn't pay attention to the shot and drilled it into the rail 
What a shame. But, that was... but she put herself in position. Of course, Kelly beat herself when you look at it that way, but she was in position to take advantage when she got there. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, the girl played, she played a great match, Seal. Yeah. So, Sal, I don't know how to say her name, but. Yeah. yeah. And she, she beat some incredible players. I mean, if you just look at uh, Kelly Fisher, she loses to the eventual champion, uh, Rita Chow, 9-7. to seven. But she beats Kelly Fisher. She beats Yuki Hiraguchi, who's uh, an absolute Japanese superstar. Uh, of course, we kind of know her as the the panda girl, but yeah. uh, you know she's she's kind of has that personality of Naoki Yoi. But I would say that she has she is she is a she is not a joke on the table. She is an absolute killer on the table. She plays incredible. Uh, she beat a uh, Mitt Rublin seven to three. You want to talk? We're talking about the the South Korean girl, not like we're yeah, right. Three three yeah. players in a row. I mean Kelly Fisher. Rublin Amit, or Amit Rublin, and then, uh, yeah, Rublin Amit, I guess, and then, um, yeah, Yuki Hiroguchi. I mean, that is an incredible run. Did yeah. you uh, did you see the nine ball that Rublin fluked, Hill Hill? Oh, my God. There, there were three flukes in those first couple days that were absolute crushers. There was that one, and then I don't remember who Karen Kaur was playing. Uh, yeah, I saw that one. Who missed the On eight. the hill, too, right? And it was Hill Hill. Yeah. Uh, and her opponent missed the eight in the cue ball, run around the table and dangled in the side pocket and, and, and hooked her on the, the pocket tip. You know, it was just like ridiculous. And, uh, but Rubens did the, the two railer into the side pocket was, that was an unbelievable but, shot. Well, yeah, I, so, I, I didn't, I don't think I like the predator tables, but I don't think that angle exists on a, uh diamond table i think the balls is going to kind of slide more off the bottom cushion and go under like have you seen a nine fluke like that in the middle it seemed really weird to me when i saw it, it just seemed unnatural somehow. maybe it was maybe it was the speed because she drilled it she shot it yeah, right yeah, there. you tend to shoot those they tend to shoot those spot shots and those like yeah angle yeah. angle shots the, the the filipino players they drill them yeah. um and she really hit it hard I could be wrong too on this, but I think the nine ball was not in its normal spot. I think it was a little higher on the rail too. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, because it was it was almost dead straight in, and uh, she was just underneath the side pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. There were, there were a couple painful, um, you know, final shots like that. And I don't even think uh, when when uh, Rublin did that, I don't even think that uh, her opponent realized what happened because she, she was she was. Huh? Rublin was in the way of her. So she was yeah, sitting yeah. There, yeah. Rublin, and she must have seen Rublin's reaction and gone, oh. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Based off the way that she looked at it, I thought she was like confused as to why she was like so, oh yeah. my God, this just happened. Like, I, like it was like, to be honest with you, if somebody did that to me and I wouldn't be able to see that and you turn around and you're like, oh, like this, like this, and you like give me a hug and like that, it'd be like, you made it straight in nine ball. What are you getting all excited about? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think she. I, just a guess. I don't think she realized that 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 was a fluke until well after the match, probably. Yeah, not yeah. sure. Yeah, I, there's no way that she could have seen it. I know that. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess, Mike, did you have any standouts? Uh, this is the first what women's nine ball for three years, four years? Is it twenty? Uh, four, yeah, four years. Four years. Twenty eighteen uh, was the last one, I think. Uh, Kelly uh, no, was 2019. The last... uh, Kelly won in 19. So yep. and this is, you know, four years later. Uh, but um, 
no, it just it was just great to see the event again, and it was great to see such a strong field of all the international players back. That was impressive to me. What was also impressive to me was I thought the arena was spectacular. Absolutely, I loved what they did with the arena, with the with the imaging and the and those you know uh, yeah. boards toward the corners and the raised part of the corner back there. I thought that was I, I thought that was a really badass look. Yeah, I. I... <laughs> I, I I really hesitate to say anything nice about Atlantic City because I just absolutely cannot stand that city. It's it's miserable to get to. Uh, like you got to fly into Philadelphia and then basically catch an Uber. Yeah. For it's a, it's an hour and some change in Uber, and then you're you're paying an extra hundred bucks on top of it for the Uber. I mean, sure you can split it with somebody if, if you if that's convenient, but like you're looking at basically a, a flight into Philadelphia and then an hour Uber, and then you're looking at basically a hundred bucks on top of whatever your flight is, plus the inconvenience of going there. It's just it really sucks to go to Atlantic City, and then the, the I don't know that's the city's just whatever. It's like it's like Vegas prices with like a third of the the options or yeah. maybe it's, a, less. It's, it's a venue you know that's all yeah. they've made it's a venue and that's what these promoters look at is venues there you know you're not yeah. there on holiday you're not there to you know go walk the boardwalk you're not you're, it's it's a competition and it's, a, it's an event so as a promoter um you know that i think I, I i dislike atlantic city every bit as much as you do but i completely understand it as a promoter i think it's a smart move by them to do yeah. some events in Atlantic City because the uh, the properties are a little more uh, receptive to bringing in business like that than, than Vegas. They're, you're going to get a little bit more from them. Um, it's East Coast, so it allows travel from Europe a little bit easier. You can go nonstop into Philadelphia from a lot of places in Europe. So so I think that, that Atlantic City just makes sense. Um, is it fun to be at as a, as a spectator or as, you know, working like we do or whatever? No, not at all. But as a player, you know, Atlantic city is no different than Des Moines, Iowa, as far as you're getting out of your hotel room, you're going downstairs, you're playing your matches and you know, when they're over, you're going to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just getting to it is, and then the prices there are like just absolutely silly. Uh, it's like that Bob, the Bob's burgers or something like that, Robert, whatever it was there. Uh, for the U.S. Open, it's like you get a burger there. It's like nineteen dollars. Oh, the chicken place. Yeah, yeah that was bad. That and then, was you, bad. and then you throw, and then you throw a soda on top of it. It's like you're you're basically thirty dollars just to get a, a burger and soda. Come on, mate. You got to go Filipino. Bring your own hot pot and just make you know make rice. And uh, like they like they get a room, nine people, and a rice maker, and you're off to off to races. <laughs> <laughs> How can I argue with that? You're right. What am I thinking? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it, it is nice to have some sort of consistency when it comes to where we're going. So the Vegas, I mean, basically at this point in time, if you want to have real, if you want to have pool, it's Vegas or it's Atlantic city, which is, yeah. I mean, and okay. There's not, not a lot of choices. I mean, if you, you can't yeah. go to a, you know, a major metropolitan area cause you just can't afford it. The players yeah. can't afford it. The promoters can't afford it. So, you know, this is this is the hand we're dealt. So you just deal with it. I just I, I you know, it's been a long time since they brought big pro events into Atlantic City, but I think it's a really smart move. I thought it was a smart move when Matrum bought the US Open there, uh, to kind of give it some differentiation from the events that are in Vegas and have have a home on the East Coast. Uh, you know, it just it, it's it's just a smart move. Yeah, don't hate on Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa. You get them, Ben. 
Hey, well, hey, at least I mentioned Des Moines, Iowa. How often does Des Moines, Iowa get mentioned in normal conversation? Well, Chris, well, when was the last time you mentioned Des Moines, Iowa? The only time I've ever heard of it is that got Ray <laughs> Ray Hansen, is it? He's got a, an event out there, doesn't he? Uh, the Midwest yeah. Classic. Yeah, the Mo yeah. Moline, yeah, Moline, Des Moines, Quad Cities there. Yeah. yeah. I'd never heard of it before that. We'll give a shout out to Ben Young. He's one of the biggest supporters we have with the podcast. So go, Ben. Don't hate on Des Moines, Mike. Ben, I will be to Des Moines soon, and we'll go out and paint the town. <laughs> I, I expect an invite. All right. Uh, so I, I guess any other standouts? Uh, I guess looking at this, there's no no Americans into the final 16. 32. Is that a surprise? <laughs> oh, no, uh, Caroline Powell. Caroline Powell got into the um, – uh, you know, there's there's oh, work. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. There the is work to be done. Um, there is work to be done. In the oh American no, yeah, Carolina Powell got into the final, the final seventeen. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of work to be done. It's not getting any easier because the fields are getting bigger and tougher. And you see what happens when you have a big international field like this. Then they're yeah. in way over their heads. And so something's got to change. Um, and it's to me, it's clearly got to be with with youth movement. You saw players like Savannah East in there, Sophia Mass. You know, uh, they go there and they they're they're getting in there and they're mixing it up with these top players. And they, you know, they want a match or two, and 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 they're learning. But you know, you can get these younger players and develop them into good international players, right? Um, the 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 kind of status quo of the top American women um you don't expect them to get a ton better to be honest uh than they're at right now I, you know I, I don't know how at this point in their careers they're gonna you know get two balls better <laughs> so so to me you know we can have these conversations till, till we're blue in the face uh but you know a, a, a serious organized effort has to be made to develop uh you know, American pool, and it's got to start with youth, both the boys and the girls. There are a lot of uh, female youth players that are coming up that are absolutely incredible, though. I mean, uh, we're probably five five years away from being able to compete in this tournament, what do you at, mean at least at the top end. Uh, but talent, raw talent-wise, incredible. Or yeah, I mean, yeah. A little bit of both. I mean, some raw talent and and the dedication and the purpose that you need yeah. to to develop these you know so we had great young players around the u.s for a lot of years but they were you know they were taking on the road when they were 12 and playing bar box eight ball till they were 18 and just gambling for money and and i'm sorry but you know at 21 yeah. you go try to play big table nine ball with the europeans and you're just you're about seven years behind we so don't even know uh, what a bar table is so yeah so it's it's uh that's that's where the difference is now with the youth. I think Chris in America is that they're you know there there is a little more purpose and and planning to what they're doing. The big European nations have concerted efforts. So the whether it's the Dutch Billiard Union or the uh, the Netherlands set up, sorry, the, the or the German Billiard Union, they have yeah. concerted efforts to bring through and a you know a framework to bring youth through. Plenty of tournaments for them to play in, coaching with top players. All, all the top players are always available at the events anyway. But, you know, coaching and things available and some actual structure to it. Is there nothing like that at all in 
the U.S. Well, I mean, in, in Europe, you know, with those countries you mentioned, there's there's funding, right, to develop yeah. programs. Um, all the funding in the U.S. would have to come from the billiard industry. It would have to come from within. Um, and, and I think it can be done. And I'd love to, you know, try to help develop a business plan that made sense to get something done. Uh, but it's going to take the industry to do it because you're not going to get a national sports federation to uh, to help fund it. And it's a big country, so there's a lot of expense in trying to develop uh, talent on a national basis, right? So, um, so there's there's a lot of work to be done. But it, it, you know, it just takes some people to get together and sit down and hammer it out and put together a plan and drop it in front of some people who could help fund it and and get it rolling. And what I would about, sorry, go well, ahead. I want to expand on that because it, like, it's not like it's impossible. Like the funding part of it, you're you're always going to run up against like that. But um, there are pockets of the U.S. where uh, there have been individuals that have just stepped up and just ran it as if it was a federation, at least on a sense of organization, um, bringing in people to to train. Um, and I, I think the best example of that that I know of, or probably the two best examples that I know of um, was out of the Twin Cities uh, in, in many, uh, Minnesota, where they had a, I mean, their their youth program was, and I, I'm not, I can't speak to it now because I'm not as, as plugged in, but um, Dax uh, Bellinger, uh, Bellinger, or Bellinger, I'm not sure which one it is. Um, so I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but um, he ran like leagues out of, like the junior leagues out of the Twin Cities. And I mean, the, st- the players that he created I shouldn't say created, but the, the players that he fostered out of that program are incredible. I mean, some of the names you're talking, uh, like Jesse Engel, um, Tyler Steinhaus, April Larson, Taylor Hansen, Tristan Hansen. Some of the players that came out of that are players that literally, if they would have stuck with it, they would be Moscone Cup players. I mean, Jesse Engel to this day, he's like a 760 Fargo. Uh, but he, he predominantly plays bar table because I don't think that there's a lot of big table around him. But he's uh, him and Demetrius are now on the road going out to tournaments together, trying to basically make a push. When he when he saw uh, basically what was available out last year, if, if he would have put a concerted effort out there, he would, he probably would have been in the Moscone. I mean, he's that talented. He's he's like a 760 Fargo. I, I played him. He was, I think, one year older than me. I played him when I was in the juniors. There's like literally he he killed me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't stand it. I mean, he's just a special player. And then TJ Steinhaus is another player. He plays like 740 Fargo, but he doesn't play it ever. I mean, he just doesn't play. And these are the type of players that were fostered out of his program uh, that, you know, if they had more structure outside of that, uh, when they hit the pro scene, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, maybe they would have had an opportunity to continue playing, or maybe they're, you know, just a little bit more internally motivated. And then the second person I'm thinking of is, um, um, D Atkins with, with what he does out of, uh, Indiana with, right. uh, the, he, he runs a junior program out of there. I think he calls it the pods training center. And he's got like six or seven junior players that I just absolutely play phenomenal. I mean, just uh, the neck, they're not, they're not quite pro level, but I mean, they're, they're playing in the upper 600s and they're, you know, in their mid, mid teens to upper teens. Um, they play, they play great. I mean, but I guess all of this is predicated off of we're not going to have a federation. So it's going to be whether or not players like this or people like this step up and kind of foster the next generation um, and help them succeed with different fundings, different, um, you know, bringing players and, uh, you know, different players into help them coaching and stuff like that. And 
it's not fancy work. It's not like a, it's not like you're you're going to get a lot out of it. It's just basically the people who put their head down and just promote the game without needing that satisfaction. Um, what's the name of the guy who was trying to push the collegiate program a number of years ago? Was it Mark, Mark Wilson? Wilson? Mark Wilson as well. Yep. What happened with that? Is that all gone? So. I- Mark Wilson is very, very open. Um, I don't think that I'm talking out of turn here. So hopefully if Mark ever hears this and I am, I'm, I apologize. But essentially what ended up happening there was they actually had a a program out of there, the Lindenwood University. And they had, uh, I mean, they had fostered players like uh, Chris Reinhold, um, Landon Shuffett, who to this day is the most talented, uh, probably, I mean, I'm not even joking when I say this, he might be the most talented pool player I've ever seen in my entire life. Just as far as like, just the way he addresses the ball and strikes the ball, he would, he would not touch his pool keys for like eight, eight months and then just come in and he was spotting Sharik Sayed. He's, uh, he's on the uh, uh, Singaporean national team with um, um, Aloysius. Yeah. I mean, 780 Fargo. I mean, he's just just a phenomenal player. He would he would like not touch his cues for like six, seven, eight months and come in and spot him a game to five in, in their training programs. I mean, he was just stupid talented. But uh, and then his dad his dad is Stan Shuffett. He had the CTE. Most people know the CTE, the aiming system. But, um, but uh, basically, what what ended up happening out of that was Mark Wilson was running running that program, and they were actually making a profit every year. So you know, most most athletic um, yeah. most athletic unless it's football or basketball in the U.S., is bleeding money, whether it's volleyball, gymnastics, whatever it is, they bleed money. Well, he was actually turning a profit off of it. And apparently what happened was Lindenwood went to him and basically said, um, we're cutting this program or something like that. Basically, they put a bunch of pressure on him to do something with it. I, I forget exactly what it was, but he basically got to the point where he's like, he, he got applied so much pressure to him that he just ended up basically having the the – uh, the entire department dissolve, okay. even though they were turning a profit and actually giving that money back to the the uh, the university for other athletic programs. Mm. But basically, it's just a bunch of suits that have nothing to do with pool, don't even know anything about it, bossing around the guy who's kind of trying to keep on his own island and just run things out of there his own way. So yeah. that's that's dissolved. It's gone now. It's a shame. Mike, any? No, no. I mean, it was a it was a great program, you know, and it, it was it was good because it went beyond Lindenwood. Uh, he was able to get other universities excited about a billiard program and develop their own billiard programs. I mean, they were all pretty much intramural based. They weren't or club sports at their universities. They weren't getting funding or scholarship for it, but uh, but it was starting to develop, you know, a good uh, lineup of schools that were putting billiard, installing billiard programs. Um, and they, some of that's still around, but it's it's just not organized well. So, um, and just another one of those areas where there's not enough structure. Yeah. But yeah, to get to get pool into school programs would be, you know, the ideal thing, obviously, in the U.S. because it's, it's so big. I mean, we've seen it happen with bowling. I, I'm very close to the bowling industry and the 10-pin bowling in the U.S. is you know, uh, a division one scholarship sport really? for women. Wow. Um, you know, and so there's, there's opportunity there and that's helped develop high school bowling, which is huge in the U S uh, that's the type of infrastructure that pool would need if it, if it can't really develop 
you know, a national billiard program for youth. I mean, to get to get states to buy into it. But that's that's a big undertaking. Uh, but hell, you know, that's what the show is for, right? Is to think pie in the sky. So I guess Chris, does that answer your question? <laughs> depressing, <laughs> depressing, isn't it? <laughs> what I don't get is the cornhole is massive in your country, but billiards still seems to be a little bit. You know, crazy. I, I don't put a lot of I don't put a lot of though. I don't put a lot of stock in cornhole and pickleball and whatever. You know. Call me, five, call me in right. five years. I, I'm mostly, I'm for the most part, I'm on, I'm on uh, Mike's in Mike's camp there. But the one thing that the cornhole has and um, pickleball has is they're united under one flag. All right. So it, if, if I'm asking you, if I'm asking you who runs pool, uh, who runs pool, Chris, what's your answer? No, I, I don't care. I'll just follow Matrim for now. But. Well, I mean, that's it, right? I mean, you just don't know. You've got to pick your poison and stick with it, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I, it, you know, if you ask somebody in the U.S., I mean, the, the popular answer in the U.S., or at least historically, has been the BCA. Um, I, 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 I mean, uh, Ed Ladawi isn't in here blowing up our feed yet, so maybe he's not here. But, um, <laughs> I mean, he keeps saying that the, the BCA is uh, – they're turning a new leaf and I hope that they do. Um, and I hope that they, you know, they become more influential in pool in the U S and, you know, for the most part, Ed, Ed is not going to blow smoke on that. So hopefully, you know, in the next year or two, they're, they're, they're going to be making a more influenced, uh, impact on the, uh, on the pool world, but I don't know who runs the pool world. Mike, Mike, this is a better question for you. Who do you think runs the pool world? Nobody runs the pool world. I mean, you know, who, who, who tells anybody what to do? I mean, Matchroom tells its players and it's, it's you know, uh, what to do. Um, you know, the APA tells its players what to do. The BCAPL tells its players what to do. So it's, it's you know, who you signed up with. I mean, nobody, nobody tells anyone else other than their own group, you know, what to do and how to do it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we can talk about pools lack of structure all day long. Um, but that's depressing. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about something that's not depressing. Yeah. You're getting well, up. How come you're not going to Derby City, Nate? Uh, I'm I'm buying a house. I don't really have. Well, I do have. You're married. Your your wife's going to do all the packing anyways. She's not going <laughs> to want you to touch the stuff. That so. No, well, <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. Mike, I do nothing with my life. This is this is the closest thing I have to structure my life right here. This talk, this talking with you guys once a week. That is the closest thing I have to structure my entire life. I can go here and take a nap for the next six hours and no one will even bat an eye at me. Or I could go pack up my entire house in the next two days. And this is what I do, Mike. It's, well, if you okay, pack anyway. up your house in two days, you can spend a weekend at Derby. That's, that's true, theoretically. Are you going? Yes. When? You just um, the nine ball. Yeah. Um, sure. I'm going uh, Thursday morning. I was thinking about tomorrow, but there's supposed to be a big snowstorm going through from St. Louis across southern Indiana and Louisville sure. tomorrow, and, and that, that would be a disaster. So, uh, so I'll probably go down Thursday morning. Yeah. Sure. So by then, uh, it'll be pretty much just nine ball. It'll probably be maybe the end of the one pocket. Um, so... Uh, uh, it's still still a lot of fun. I mean, Chris, have you gotten to see much of the action down there on um, any streams or 
I just watched a bit on the action room. I was actually supposed to be there as well, but my flights got cancelled. So it's just. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. Yeah, but I, I've been there before once, uh, but it's like some spectacle. It's, it's the first, yeah. it was the uh, first American pool tournament I'd ever been to. And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't it's that. just madness, isn't it? Oh, I, I just couldn't believe what I was what I was seeing. I had jet, I had uh, jet lag, so it was the first time I travelled to the US. So I got up at like five in the morning to go down and practice because I couldn't sleep. I went down there and I couldn't get on the table. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's nothing that that um, compares to Derby City. It's it's just a uh, it's a carnival in and of itself, and uh, it's just absolute madness on a pool table or m many pool tables yeah. and uh it's 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 something to behold for sure the people that work on the top table in that tournament are unbelievable like they're putting in like 22 hours <laughs> crazy crazy yeah well if they change the format it could be a little more predictable and they could probably work a few less hours but who knows that's the matter <laughs> isn't it the rebuy and the like 500 oh, yeah it's just that's what makes it like no other uh, yeah. between the gambling and the format and the, you know, getting told you're playing one pocket on table six at 11 and you better be done by 1145 because you're playing nine ball on table 10. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of Derby, um, well, wait, wait, I want to, I want to take a little sidestep before we get to that. You wanted some good, exciting news, some, some, some happy news, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about our happy news because we have some happy news. We have a new jersey, Mike. Isn't it cool? Here is our <laughs> new jersey. We are going to be releasing this actually today. So uh, as you can see, this is the front of it. This is the back of the jersey. Uh, nice. As you can see, you can get this customized with your name on it. So pretty or somebody else's stuff. Name. Or someone else's. You could get... You can get anything you want. What, what do you get on the back of yours, Mike? I can get one. I can get one for all my family members with their names on it. Mine's going to say Mickey Meatballs. Yeah, yours is going to say Mickey Meatballs. Is there, <laughs> is there any story that you'd like to tell us about Mickey Meatballs? No, you're best off not knowing. Oh, you got to be in the know. <laughs> I don't like to talk about it. Well, anyways, these are our jerseys, and if you would like to get your hands on one, head over to the Queued Up Network page. We have a post out there for it. Uh, I will also throw the link into the description here. And all you have to do basically is go in there and fill it out. And we will send you uh, everything that you need to know and to uh, to put in there to basically get yourself one of these. So pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I think great. they're a pretty cool design. Yeah, great looking jersey. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so let's get this in there. And boom, right into the comments right there. All right. Yeah. Well, there's there's your happy news, and there's my plug for the day. All right, let's go back to things that aren't me plugging stuff. All right. Uh, so the only thing we can talk about, I guess, so far is the, uh, as far as conclusions, is the Bigfoot finished up finally. Uh, Shane Van Boning wins his what is this his third one, I believe, something like that. I think he's won yeah. three of these things. Yeah. Um, so ties him up with I believe Jason Shaw for the most Jason, Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, I think uh, those two both have three now. Uh, beats uh, Conrad Eustician in the finals. So another, I mean, the Polish players, I mean, they're just, oof, they're looking good. But uh, I guess, uh, Mike, did you have any thoughts on uh, Shane winning? 
No, he played. He looked. He looked like he played great. I mean, he had. Uh, you know, uh, he had that big matchup with Jason in the second round uh, that he that he ground through. Um, so uh, you know, the surprises. Yeah, or eight, I think. Um, but um, you know, the big surprise up. You know, were you know Feder getting knocked out by Roberto Gomez? Um, uh, was it Conrad that knocked Filler out? Yep. Uh, uh, was it Conrad or Mieszko? Oh yeah, Conrad. I think Conrad. Yeah. And then and then Conrad beat Lee Van, right? Who yeah, I you know who he was he was my favorite you know for to make the final. Um, so uh, yeah, big couple big wins for him. Couple big scalps on the big table. Good, good event. Always a good event. Yeah, Chris. Nothing to add. I didn't see any of it. <laughs> you can fake it. <laughs> I, I guess different. Uh, I see. I saw it in person one year, and when you see the size of the ten foot table, it's it's significantly bigger than than the nine footer i mean it's a good i don't know it must be another 10 square feet or so bigger maybe more than that. did you get a chance to play on it last time you were down there have you played on a 10 footer uh, no i um i might have played on a 10 foot snooker table maybe uh, yeah i'm just curious as to you know how it changes the game um you know there were a couple comments that did it does it not make the game easier but there's more room for you to move the cue ball. There's the more space you have, the less you have to worry about bumping into balls and you have bigger paths to get through. Is that, yeah. is that, is that a legit comment? There's more space. That's for absolutely, you know, that's, that, that, that's for definite. Exactly. The shot making is going to be a bit more difficult because they've still got smaller pockets this year. I think they had them last year. Um, last year. Yeah, I think they did. But those kind of diagonal shots, corner to corner, that's like, that is a long distance when you're diagonal. <laughs> it might not look that far away on the camera, but that's a long old way away with your diagonal yeah. shot. Yeah. I've, I've played uh, I've played on the uh, a 10-foot table at uh, the booth at Super Billiards Expo. Uh, the diamond booth always has a 10-foot table set up. So I've, I've hit some balls on it there. Um, it's actually – so I think that had pro-cut pockets. and. If you have like four and a half inch pockets, the table itself actually isn't it isn't too much worse. I don't feel in a short spurt of playing. I don't think it's that much worse than a nine footer. And there definitely is the um, there definitely is those those lanes that just come for position so much easier. But the speed is just so goofy because you know you, it looks close enough to a nine foot table that you kind of almost play your shots as if you're on a nine foot table. So I end up finding myself coming up short quite a bit. Mm. Um, so then I try to adjust when I'm, you know, kind of on the fly. And then I start like overhitting everything by like two diamonds because I can't quite figure out the speed. Uh, but as far as there are, there are a lot, there, there's almost no hindered positional shots when it comes to that. Cause 10 balls over <laughs> 10 by five. I mean, you're talking about 500 square or uh, what is it? Uh, 10 by five. So yeah, 50 square feet of, of, uh, of real estate. There's, there's a lot, a ball's not very big. So <laughs> Yeah, that's just a lot of room for those. You can usually get to your natural lines pretty easily, but the speed becomes you know a little bit tricky. But if you play on them enough, maybe uh, you kind of get past that, or if you just have the ability to control your cue ball like these guys do. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no so, jump cue on the ten either. No jump cue on the ten footer is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I saw a couple. I saw Shane spear a couple 
nice jump shots, you know, using his standard playing cue. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're only jumping half a ball. It's uh it's usually not too bad. But um I guess we can go into talk a little bit about the banks. Uh it's not done yet, but there's uh twenty one players left remaining. Um a lot of the names I guess you would expect to see, although there's also some names in here that I've uh, like uh Gerson Martinez still is uh still is undefeated. Um that's pretty impressive. Uh, no losses so far for him. Same with Fedor. They're the only players that are left undefeated going into the 10th round. Uh, yeah. other Fedor's, Fedor's, haven't, Fedor's had a couple, had some nice, has had a nice run. He's got a couple pretty sporty scalps already uh, oh, yeah. going through that division with uh, Shane and Billy um, and Tony. I think he beat all three of them so far in Banks. And so actually uh, Billy Thorpe is now out. Uh, Jason Shaw is now out in the round of 10. Uh, Alex Pagulayan is now out in the round of 10. Uh, Luis DeMarco is out in the round of 10. And Mickey Krause is out in the round of 10. Players that are still remaining. Um, looks like there's Gerson Martinez with no losses. Roland Garcia with one loss. Joshua Filler with one loss. Uh, uh, Roberto Gomez with one loss, Fedor Gorse with no losses, uh, Mika Imanen with one loss, and uh, Rayed Shabib with one loss, who beat Billy Thorpe. So those are the players who remain in the tournament. So that's what, one, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, about uh, 10 players mm -hmm. left. Um, I mean, we could talk about the one pocket, but I mean, it's it's so early on that it's there's really nothing really to talk about, I guess, uh, unless we just want to go through match by match. But that's well, I think you know one of the topics to me is is you know we know Federer's ability to play one pocket, and we certainly know his ability to play nine ball. Uh, you know, I would I would assume that a deep run here in Bankpool sets him up to be a, a pretty a pretty good favorite for a master of the table, you know, oh, yeah. run type of yeah. run, right? Because Banks would be the one place where you thought maybe, you know, he wouldn't be a top three, top four guy. Uh, but he's, you know, he's, look at what we just said. He's beaten Alex, Billy, Tony, and Shane in a, pretty much in a row. So that's... I'm sorry? Did he not win the Banks last year? Uh, was it Banks that he won last year as well? Yeah, he won, he won okay. Banks and the one pocket. Yeah, yeah, Banks yeah, Right, right, he won and the one pocket. Uh, so yeah, I guess I, I'm probably like 100% wrong there, but um, <laughs> but another run in banks, you know, yeah, given yeah. his given, you know, because there's not a lot of bank tournaments, right? So it's a oh. little more of a roll of the dice. Uh, but you know, you know where he's going to be in nine ball in one packet, which is going to be, you know, oh, the, yeah. a, a contender, right? So, yeah. um, so yeah, it's uh, it's you know, I wonder, I guess, when no, go ahead, mate. I was going to say, if you, I mean, if you look at some of the players he beat um, so far, I mean, he's beat Alex Pegalion, um Shane Van Boning, Tony Chohan, Billy Thorpe. I mean, you're talking about some of – I mean, it, if you're talking about the best bankers in the world, I mean, you're not going to start a list with any fewer than three of those names probably, yeah. or two or three of those names at least. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. 
Yeah. Uh, and then Stephen Holman, he beat uh, Holman too. Uh, he's he's a great player from Canada. Maybe not as well known as the John Morris or the Alex Peggy Lines of the world, but I mean, he is an absolute monster too. Um, I guess going, just kind of looking through a few of the other names in here that uh, he ended up beating. Yeah, I guess that's really all. Uh, D. Atkins. I mean, D. Atkins is a great player. I think he's a, a former all-around champion here at this event. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And and I guess talk talking about this, I mean, is the, without a player in the field, like let's say Dennis Arcoyo, is, is there a player that can really take away the master of the table from Fedor, you think? If, if, if Fedor brings his game, uh, and not his best game, but like a, a solid version of his game. Is there anybody that's good enough in all three facets of the game to be able to, to take the master of the table away from him? I think Shane and Fuller are pro really, really good at one pocket as well now, aren't they? I think either one of those two could quite easily win the one pocket. Yeah, I think Shane went into round eight or eight or nine in the uh, uh, banks. So he'll get, you know, he'll get some points out of that. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, I, where did Sky end up in the banks? Must have been out early, huh? Fedor beat Roberto Gomez too in the, in the banks. And Nick De Leon. Uh, where did Sky go? Let's find out. He's had a really, really rough draw, to be fair. That's a hard draw. Oh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Uh, he, he, well, he eventually lost out to Mickey Krause. Um, <laughs> he had to play Lee Van Corteza. Who's that? A promising up-and-comer from uh, the Philippines. No, who you no, no, no. I mean, who, who's who? Who are you talking Krause? about? No, who, Sky. Who? Sky. Oh, Sky. Okay. Sky. So, what round who's did he go Cortesa? out? What round? What round did he go out in Banks? Six. So he Six. lost in back-to-back -back matches. It looks like to uh, Lee Van Corteza okay. and Mickey Krause. Because Sky would be, you know, to me, a popular choice for for you know uh, uh, for a master of the table, uh, given the way he's playing these days and. You know, you know he's going to do well in nine ball, and he's, he's pretty Even had sporty. to play Shane Winters along the way too. Another really brutal player, and uh, um, Kyle Akulu too. Yeah, I can't imagine he's a great Banks player, but uh, he's the player from uh, South Africa that made a deep, a super deep run at the World Championships. I think he got like the final thirty-two, the World Championships yeah. last year. Yeah. Did he? I mean, the way he's playing too. I mean, Roberto Gomez has to be near the top of the list too, as pass as as master passables, right? I, he's I, still, I, he's still I in the banks. Ironically, his, ironically, his weakest is probably the nine ball at that point. Because right? if you yeah. if you look at the the best nine ball players, if you create any sort of like top twenty list of the players in this field, I don't know that you ever get to Roberto's name. Yeah. Possibly, but yep. he's playing good pool right now. So, yes, yeah, you know, he's, he's, you know, and, and Derby has always been, the, you know, the domain of the Filipino players uh, sure. over the years. So, um, you know, he would be a, he would be a popular choice as well. Yep. Um, so I, I guess let's, let's remove Fedor Gorst from the master of the table. Who's your guys' pick that uh, are super, super early on pick. With the evidence that we have in here, what do you think? I'll say Roberto. I'll say I'll be really, really risky and say Shane. <laughs> Shane? Yeah. I'm gonna go a little off the wall for this one. I'm gonna go with Roland Garcia. Okay. 
I'm gonna. I, I, I like Roland Garcia's game. I like his one. Hopefully, I haven't even looked at the one pocket. Hopefully, he's still. <laughs> hopefully, he hasn't been eliminated in the one pocket already. <laughs> if his name isn't Gray, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we have a bet locked in. So Fedor taken out of it. We've got those three players each. Loser. Whoever's the furthest away buys dinner for the other two next time we're all together. <laughs> Can I change my pick then? <laughs> Jeez. No, I don't, I, know how many, I don't know how many more dinners I can be on the hook for these days. <laughs> yeah, Everybody right. wants to bet dinner. It's like, you know, I'm just going to have a standing reservation at some place and different people are going to walk in each night. Yeah, right. <laughs> you just got to knock them off one by one just to order, like, right. uh, just order an appetizer. I just, six I just stay at the times. table and wait. <laughs> Think of all those tax write-offs at the end of the year, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well uh, – yeah, okay. Well, that's, how about we just do – we'll just do it for a cocktail next time we see each other then. How's that? Uh, yeah, Even sure. Better. Even better. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'll take Roland. Uh, Mike, you had uh, Roberto, and then Chris, you got uh, Shane? Yeah. Yep. Sure. Why not? Seems fun. All right. Let's uh, let's hear everybody else in the, the comments. Uh, who do you who do you picking for the master of the table? Removing Fedor, unless you want to be a nitty, you know, boring picker and say Fedor. Uh, let's hear. Let's hear what you guys think out there. Uh, as far as that, I guess um, there's not too much else to talk about. Uh, is anything else catch either of your uh, your eyes? Nothing, nothing catches Ooh. my eye, but <laughs> you know what catches my eye? <laughs> the first and only time I went to the derby a few years ago, I watched the banks because I I didn't know the rule. I didn't know what was going on. So I walked into the main hall, and there was this guy there, this old guy with a mustache and a sweater on walking around banking everything so i asked jay who jason who he was and he was like this uh, is it brumbach from john brumbach. john brumbach yeah i've never seen anything like that in my life <laughs> unbelievable. he's, he's won like, the bank division a couple times oh well, unbelievable I'm, i've never seen anything like that never yeah. seen anything yeah. like it yeah he's he's a master banker that's for sure he didn't play this year <clears throat> Not- well he did kind of didn't he make an announcement kind of that uh he was actually taking a step away from the game completely yeah. Am I wrong in saying that? I think no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I think I think last year like he he, had, he said uh he had made a post on Facebook he's like um you know, I, I've had a standing offer to play anybody in the world banks for any amount of money for x amount of years and nobody's ever taken me up on it so I'm walking away from the game. I'm done. <laughs> I did just take a quick peek through the one packet and I saw that my Roberto Gomez is in a second round matchup with Fetter. <laughs> I, I just I better start. I just better go hit the cash machine now for these drinks. <laughs> Poor guy, you just you just can't win, can you? Yeah. The question is: Is how's mine looking though? How am I doing? Is how's my Roland Garcia pick? Oh, did someone just say Gomez beat Fetter. Ooh. In one packet? Gomez this, beat is Fedor. This, is this over? No Tina Mike? Is this, well, or is this fake news? <laughs> hashtag fake news. I don't know. Seems like a seems like a legit statement. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, Fedor is about to play Gomez in Banks right now. Gomez. Does that? Yeah, we're really confused. I know. <laughs> I'm wow. talking. Right, um. Fedor and Gomez and Banks, they're starting at 2 p.m., which I guess is an hour. Actually, it's probably right now because I think that uh, that's East Coast time. Uh, Fedor and uh, – yeah, that's 
So, no, Tina Mike is saying Gomez beat Feder earlier today in one packet. That's what I need to know. What was the game that he beat him in? I'm not seeing that. Uh, oh, this is the, this is the scheduled matches though. That must be a that must be a one pocket because you can't redraw the same person in the unless he's in the bank. Beat him. Oh, so he beat him in one pocket. Look at that. Right. You guys better get ready to pay off. Well, how's Roland Garcia Mike's, doing? Mike's looking sporty right now. It's so silly. Like I don't even honestly, I don't even know how to get to like the point where I can look at the one pocket matchups. I'm looking. You just at have to scroll matches. until your finger falls off. Yeah, the uh, the the system for oh, Derby City and X sure. is a little dated. Fantastic. Got it. My finger didn't fall off, but I got there eventually. Yeah. So now let's see where my Roland Garcia pick is. Oh, cool. He hasn't lost yet as of the second round. <laughs> but there's a third round of matches in here. So let's see. Did he lose in the third round? No. Heck no. I'm in good. Oh, yeah. This is easy game. Easy game. This. Are we getting anything done? We're just we're just not getting anything done, are we? Not really. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, I yeah. I guess is there anything else that uh, you guys got to plug? Um. No, no. Just look forward to nine ball. See how that goes. We all got uh, the European players. We all got an email last week. Michael know about this. I don't know if you do, Nate. But it looks like all the Euro tour tournaments are off of the matchroom schedule now. We got a letter off. from that they won't be included. Yeah, they got a we got a letter last week saying that they'd looked at matchroom's requirements and decided that they couldn't. Yeah, this is off. a this is a matchroom WPA. Yeah, you know, Euro tour got caught in the middle of that uh, squabble, and so they're having to take their ball and go home because you know their federations are worth you know too much to them to, to start losing funding because they're breaking from a WPA or whatever the case would be. So I had wondered when uh, Matrim announced that it was going to not have events sanctioned by WPA, what kind of trickle down fallout there was going to be for the European federations. And uh, so it's not really surprising that um, EPBF is siding with WPA at this point and, and kind of holding its ground for the time being. Yeah, well, do you want to you want to expand on that, Mike, or do, what's what's the story? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know beyond. I mean, at, at Derby, I mean at uh, Moscone, Barry Hearn made the announcement that Matrim was not going to have any event except the World Championship sanctioned by the WPA. So you know the uh, the implication is then that these countries that send their players to WPA events. That's how they fund their players is into WPA sanctioned events, things like that. None of these events are going to be sanctioned by the WPA. So the players aren't going to get the funding from the from the Dutch Federation to go to the UK Open or whatever the case is, I don't believe. And uh, so, you know, they would have to adhere to certain rules to be part of the matchroom nine ball rankings. And I'm sure one or some of those rules must be something that, puts their status with the WPA in jeopardy and they're having to side make they're having to take sides at this point. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's going to take a little while for all this to shake out because I think there's other implications. There are other things involved in this squabble. So we need to see how this plays out. The EPBF were clear in their letter, though, they wouldn't make the players choose. You know, they're, they're still open to having whoever they want. You know, if you want to go and play in the Euro Tour and then go and play in a match from event, at the minute they're saying that's that's all good and their intention is not to is not to change that. Yeah, is- yeah that, that, I assume though then that that the federations are not going to fund their trips to or entries or whatever into those events though, right? These would have to be kind of on your own. And so if you oh, missed a Euro, if you missed a Euro Tour because you're playing in the European Open, there's no ramifications. Well, I mean, if you are one of those federations and your goal is for players to be able to fund themselves through prize money, you can win all the Euro tours under the sun. Yeah, sure. Self-supporting. Right. With the matchroom events, right? I mean, Albin may be getting paid off the Austrian federation still and getting some sponsorship that way. But let's face it, he can do it on his own now. And that's... You, so you, look, you look at someone like a Niels Fan, who's you know is yeah. works every year as hard as anybody yeah. to make sure yeah. he makes that Dutch that's federation fine. funding. Um, that's why the European European Championships are more important to him than than the yeah. UK Open, right? Yeah. So um, what happened? You know, does he have to? Uh, if there's a European, if if the UK Championship is at the same time as a Euro Tour event, where's Niels going? Yeah, it's, I would uh, guess he's going to the the EPB uh, the Euro Tour event. <laughs> that would be my that, that's yeah. where I would roll the dice. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Hard so. to say. I mean, I it's hard to know how much of this is because this is going to happen. I mean, this is already happening in the U.S. I think the natural thinning out of um, let's say the promoters that are hap- that are have been pushing this industry. For, I don't even want. I don't know if I even want to say forward, but uh, you know, if, if you look at the, the U.S. especially past, it, you can even include the U.S. Open, the International Open, the Super Billiards Expo, the Derby City Classic. If you really look at everything that the U.S. has to offer, it is all ran by basically single entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I think that there's going to be a, a really huge natural uh, natural thinning out of those those entities in the coming years, whether it's um, you know, I mean, let's even the what was it two weeks ago the the Space City Open. I mean, f- three years ago that was a massive event. I mean, that was one of the bigger events of the, on the calendar. And this year, it, it went by without even you know not even batting an eye. I mean, uh, Roberto Gomez wins it. Jeffrey Luna gets second. Um, you know, there's a lot of other you know top players there. And uh, Mason Cook gets uh, third. So shout out to him because he's a Wisconsin guy. But um, good kid. Uh, there, I mean, you're talking about you know, one of the bigger events in 2018, certainly one of the top 10 events in the U.S., and now it's it's not even relevant. Um, you know, there's a lot of other, the Iron City Classic, the Texas Open, a, a lot of these different events that were huge. I think in the next two to three years, they're just going to be a, a big nothing burger. Uh, you know, they get a lot of big regional players. Um, well, they've pretty much but, been regional events. I mean, you know, they've got good players in them, but the Texas Open – Still considered a regional event. Turning Storm uh, 20, was a 2018, regional event. 2019, they were Space they were huge events. I mean, they would get the best players. They would they would at least get the top twenty best players. Top you know, twenty all, best players from where? 
Well, I, you're not getting the Albin Oceans of those, but you're getting you're getting all of the touring Filipinos. You're getting the Mario He's and the the Dennis Gravas and the Alex Kazakis and you know the players who kind of get you know the 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 car the car buddies who load up in a car and they you know they drive across the country. You're getting all of the Filipinos, all of the top U.S. players, a lot of those uh, touring regional or those those touring European players. And then you'll even get like a, if the, if the if there was an event that was right, I mean you'll get a Chang Jung Win at it or a, a Co Brothers at it, and now it's basically just regional players or or the Filipinos. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Oh, I don't think so either. I think it's a great thing because I, th- I think if if you get it at the end of the day, there's got to be consolidation on in this industry, both both at um, basically at every single facet, right? Yeah. Imagine what. And again, I always go back to this as my um, example when it comes to stuff like this. Predator Qs puts more money into this industry than every other entity in the entire world of pool outside of outside of Matchroom. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, at the end of the day, you could you can argue whether or not you think that's good or bad for the industry, but it doesn't change the fact that they they have a tour that they have basically self funded that has over a million dollars in prize money. Uh, you also have companies, and this is always the one that I pick on uh, because I don't really care, like Muchi. Muchi doesn't really hardly give anything back to the industry. They don't have a lot of events they sponsor. They don't have any hardly any players that they sponsor. Um, but you know they have a pretty a pretty good sized business, and maybe they do more things behind the scenes that I don't know about. But I don't see them sponsoring a lot of events or giving back to players or doing anything like that. What happens if? Predator gets fifty percent of the the that um, that company's sales. Do you think that they're just going to sit on those sales and just pocket them, or do you think they're going to put it back into the industry like they do with every other, you know, basically sale that they make? I mean, they're putting stupid amounts of money into this industry. And that I, I guess I just look across the industry, and there's a lot of dead weight that you know they'll. Part of it's because they don't make enough money to to be able to give back. You know, they don't have the profit margins to do it. And then part of it is you know the ones that do have the money. When was the last time you saw a Lukasi open? Or I, I, you, you could name like action pool keys. I mean, you could you could name a ton of Q companies that you know they, they've never done anything for the industry, and yet they're they're kind of leeching off of it. I shouldn't say leeching off it, but like the idea is they're they're getting a lot. Know. of money I mean, where, where's, where's to say that if you make a Q, you're supposed to sponsor all these events? Yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of companies that, that aren't nearly the size or the global what, yes. reach of a predator or. Sure. Uh, you know, a Q-Tech or something like that. So, um, you know, uh, Q-Tech goes about it a different way. They're, they're, they're you well, know. Q-Tech does with, a lot for the industry too. Yeah, I mean, they've got, yeah. they do, you know, they do events with, with more tying in with existing events than running their right. own events, uh, which, which most companies as sponsors would do. They don't have the infrastructure to be promoter, producer, yeah. and Q-maker. So, um, so I, it's, it's hard for me to, um, hold everybody up to predators, you know, involvement, uh, and say you should be doing the same. Well, mostly, mostly what I'm saying is, uh, and I'm, I'm not necessarily holding them accountable to predator, but there's a reason I started with predator with what they're doing. Right at the end of the day, they are doing, they are doing exactly what is needed to make the game grow. Right. And while I'm not going to hold other other Q companies responsible for that, all I'm saying is a thought experiment. What happens if predators? What if what if Predator had an extra million dollars in their budget every year? You know what what would that look like? What if you gave an extra million dollars to Muchi Cues? I don't think I, I think one of those you would see some some things that would actually get done uh, to improve the game, and I think one of them would be lining somebody's pockets. And uh, again, it, it's a capitalistic society. You're not you're not required to 
you're not required to, um, you know, you're not you're not required to do this. You're not required to be altruistic to try to build the game. What I'm saying, well, OBQs is actually gone now, unfortunately, but because I love Jeremy, uh, Jeremy and Amy, they're great people. But um, at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, like uh, you can either do the things or you, you don't have to do the things. And if and if I notice that somebody is doing the things, QTAC Predator, they're they're promoting the game in a in a way that I like to see. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna shout it out. And if I think that, you know, you're you're not doing anything and you potentially have the ability to do things. I don't know. It's I'm just pointing things out as I see them. It doesn't mean doesn't mean it's right. It's just the way I see them, I guess. Yeah. Fair and that enough. goes that goes across the board. I mean, at the end of the day, like <laughs> Simonis Cloth and Aramith give stupid amounts of money to this game. I mean, just I mean, it's just silly how many things that they sponsor. You know, and and I don't know exactly what CPBA does or what Andy Cloth does, but I know that what they do is incredible for the sport. What happens if they got an extra 20% of the market share? I would suspect that they're going to do 20% more investing. Um, you know, uh, I, I guess, yeah, that's, that's just, that's just kind of how I look at it as far as I, I think that there needs to be a consolidation of the industry to kind of, to kind of get rid of some of the different entities that are, you know, there, there aren't 50,000 different types of drivers in golf, right? There's like four or five, six. Hmm. I don't know. I don't call. That's <laughs> yeah. just just a thought. I, Chris, yeah. Yeah, any thoughts on that? No, just that everybody's business model is different. You know, completely. Yeah, everybody has their own drivers. Everybody will have investors or otherwise. Everyone will have, you know, there's so much to it that I think it's difficult to hold anybody to anybody else's standards. It's completely individual thing. Completely individual. Yeah. Sure. But I think we can all agree that we need to consolidate the league systems, right? Well, we can agree on that. We don't need to have 17,000 different uh, league organizations, maybe. <laughs> Who would you pick, Nate? Right. Uh, I, would, I, would pick, I would pick three different organizations and let them fight it out. <laughs> you don't no, want them to fight I, it out. You want them to each build in their own way and, and grow to pie. You know, you don't want yeah. one person running anything. Well, it, it, well, this kind of comes down to the business model. And this is where I do think that the APA gets it right. I don't see APA competing with BCA or TAP or VNEA or ACS or, you know, BCAPL. I, I see that the APA really just looks for players that don't play the game. And, and of course, you know, you got to introduce those players to the game as well as, you know, hopefully you introduce them to what happens outside of the game, like, you know, what's happening at Derby City Classic or the U.S. Open or the World the women's world nine ball. Um, you would hope that they would try to introduce them into that too. So you can actually build the, the um, not only, not only the average player, but the avid average player so that they care about what's happening as well with the industry. But for the most part, I kind of see um, like the rest of the leagues and I could be wrong on this, but they're, they're really, I, I, I feel like they're trying to fight each other for the same slice of pie. You know, they're trying to get. Well, those... there are, there are two different pies. I mean, the APA's business model has always been, has, has never really been geared to, you know, players with aspirations, sure. right? It's like a bowling league. Um, and it's a great, it's a great business model and it's franchise based. So that makes it a completely business model on top of that. Then you've got, you know, your BCAPL and, and, and VNEAs and whatever that are in that more traditional league system. Um, and they do develop players and, and have, you know, a different standard of the game. Uh, so, you know, just a lot of differentiation in, in the, 
the league system as well. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to have multiple leagues. There's, how many people do you know play in two or three different leagues? VNEA, BCAPL, and and APA. You know, I played yeah, four. I played four. So, I mean, you know, are you complaining? Yes. You don't have to play in four, Nate. No one's got a gun to your head. Well, most, most of them. <laughs> I, I play in one league that sanctions for three, and I play in another league during the summer that sanctions. Chris, for three. are you following this, or are we both lost? No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the year for the the Tuesday night league that I play in in Madison, um, our our first night's dues are seventy five dollars because we sanction for th uh, three different entities. And I will never touch two of them. I mean, I, I just don't partake in those. I don't want to partake in those. But I have to pay them because they sanction for that. For the, the 130 players in our league or the 160 players in our league, maybe three of them will actually go to that event. But we sanction for it anyways. And what you get for that $75? Nothing. But do you have, so do you have to pay for your games on league night and stuff? Yeah, $10 a night. So we pay them for the opportunity to go to their events is essentially right. what we do. So okay. that's what that's, you know, that's 20 bucks here, $25 there, $15 here. It's, you know, each one has a different amount. But basically by paying that money, we pay for the right to play in their tournaments. I don't, you pay them to put on the tournaments. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it you're is the what sponsors. it is. You're the sponsors. <laughs> it is it is what it is I, just, I i wouldn't mind seeing a thinning out of the leagues i and just you know two three four really big ones and then but it's, you, it's lucrative i mean there's money in it I, I thought those leagues were for like 600 550s downwards sort of things what do you think i am i i the way you talk i thought you were like 790 or something <laughs> 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 no, I, there's. I mean, the, the uh, I can't play an APA. I'm, I'm, I would be. I think. I, I think they they cap out at like a certain number. Although, although there's there's some I, there's a big controversy every year. Like, you know, there's pros playing in the APA, but I don't know. I don't know. It, it is what it just is. Just a Brian I just, argument. Yeah, that, that's just my that's just my thought on it. Is yeah. marketing budgets go up drastically when there's less competition? And then marketing budgets are, you know, hopefully they're used to help grow the game. Just my thought. But I don't know. I guess we're basically talking about nothing at this point. We could probably close it out. Huh? <laughs> uh, I'm just a hater. All right. Well, I guess we'll close it out there. Uh, Derby City still going on. A uh, bunch of different streaming platforms that you can get that on. I guess... Joshua Filler, in the meantime, beat Meek Eminem in the 11th round of Banks. Ooh. So that's that's happened since uh, since the last time we looked at it. Um, I guess, anyways, Chris, Mike, appreciate you guys joining me again this week. Thanks, everybody, for fun. tuning in. Good seeing you, Chris. Good seeing you. And we'll see everybody next week.